Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 41 of the R Weekly Highlights podcast. My name is Eric Nance, and as always, I am delighted to have you listening to our latest episode. Today, we are covering the highlights for week 21, released on May 24th, 2021. This week's issue was curated by Kelly Bodwin, with help from the R Weekly team members and contributors. We lead off our highlights podcast this week with arguably one of the biggest stories that we've covered in the year 2021 thus far, and that is the release of R version 4.1.0. As usual, every point re- major point release of the R eco- of the R language has a lot of excellent bugs fixes and new enhancements, although there are two enhancements that are likely to get the most attention and be most visible to the end user. The consulting firm Jumping Rivers has done an excellent job in their blog post sharing the perspectives and uh, key takeaways of these two new features. The first of which is the new native pipe operator built into now base R. If you're not familiar, the pipe operator has been made famous by the Tidyverse suite of packages and specifically the Magritte package. It is the operator that is surrounded by 2% signs and the greater than sign in between that lets you feed in the value of one object directly into a function call for the next set of an analytical pipeline. It is meant to avoid what can be very complicated nesting of functions with multiple levels of parentheses or being having to create ad hoc objects that maybe aren't necessarily important for your overall analytical pipeline or R script. The native pipe operator is denoted by the pipe and greater than sign concatenated together. As a Linux uh, enthusiast, it's cool to see that the native pipe operator in R is actually using the pipe operator that's been used in things like bash and overshells. Now, the first question would be, how is this different than what Magritte offers, and perhaps even more importantly, what is the future of Magritte? Well, in episode 3 and episode 16 of the Highlights podcast, I share details from our studio themselves on the release of Magritte version 2.0, where it was made clear by the Tidyverse team that this will be the last major release with new features for Magritte in light of the new base pipe operator becoming a part of our core. In fact, our studio software engineers Leonel Henry and Jim Hester were instrumental in proposing the native pipe operator in our core. Now, there are some important differences with Magritte, such as the fact that the native pipe operator doesn't fully support having, in essence, a wildcard placement of the first argument going into the second argument, which you would see in a lot of Magritte code using a dot character to put in place, uh, say, a third or fourth argument in a function call. You will be required to create a function that is compatible with the base pipe operator if you want to use that similar functionality. With that said, there has been some great optimism in terms of performance of the native pipe operator due to its slightly different take on being lazy, so to speak, with evaluating arguments. 
In fact, Magritter 2.0 took a similar approach for their performance enhancements, ensuring that they could have at least a very close compatibility with the base pipe operator. Now it should be noted that since this is obviously very new to version R4.1.0, you won't be able to use this pipe operator in R scripts that are being run on previous versions of R. But that would be a good case, so to speak, for using the Magritter package in those situations. In addition, another great new user-facing change is a way to declare functions with a shorter notation by using a backslash in front of the function arguments in parentheses as opposed to writing a function with a typical function argument or function function, <laughs> say that three times fast, with the arguments inside. Now this can be very useful when you have calls to packages such as the per, per's uh, map functionality or even in BASAR, the map function with a capital M. This might make it easier to create more concise code that uses these functions that are in essence a one-time use without having to write a more verbose representation of that. Now, as I mentioned at the top, this is just two of the many new features that are in our version 4.1.0. And in the supplement section of this episode show notes, I will have links to the entire change log as well as Winston Chang's mirror in GitHub of the actual R source code if you'd like to use that, if you'd like to use GitHub to view the code instead of the standard subversion repository that is used by the R core team. One of the excellent features of R itself that always has me appreciative of the excellent work done by the R core team as well as the many in the R community contributing their packages is the integrated documentation system. Whenever we're using a function for the first time, it is very easy that for a function that's exported by the package author to simply search for that function in editors such as RStudio or just in the R console itself and be able to quickly get a glance at the parameters, their intended usage, and perhaps what gets the most attention is meaningful examples to show the function in action. Now it is true that examples aren't necessarily required, although it is good practice as documented by the fine folks at the ROpenSci team to have great examples as part of any function that is exported in your package. But what kind of tips can we, can we leverage for creating actually great examples in these functions? Well, Nick Crane, our developer who recently joined the Ursa Computing Group, has done an excellent job in her recent blog post to share her findings and research on what actually makes a great example in a function's documentation. Even though you'll see the example listed kind of towards the end of a dynamically generated help file within R, users will often scroll to that first before even reading about parameters themselves, and hence it is important that these examples make a great first impression. And not only are these looked at at first by most R users, they're often looked at a glance to make sure that they can get a quick take on what to do for running that function. So it's often best practice to not 
burden the function example with a whole lot of pros or a whole lot of comments, but just enough to guide the user in the right direction. Likewise, Nick also recommends that it's not just one type of example, but additional examples that might show best usage of a function and maybe just as importantly, what not to do for a function. And a lot of times these functions have multiple parameters and perhaps there are combinations of parameters that, that, that warrant further calling out to make sure that the user has a good idea of what are the trade-offs or what are the expectations for combining different values. Another important concept that Nick touches on is the idea of having the output in line with the example itself. But while it is a nice to have, it's not completely necessary that these example entries have their output annotated directly into the file. As most users are probably gonna be copying pasting the commands from the help file into their R console directly to see the impact of running those examples and the output that it generates. Seeing this, seeing this highlight also nudges me in the right direction, so to speak, is I've been creating more internal packages at the day job, and unfortunately, I have not been as uh, disciplined, so to speak, with actually writing example code alongside the functions themselves. I've certainly been trying to take care of that with package vignettes, but let's be honest here, when we're trying to figure out why a function is not working, we're gonna to go to the source of that function itself first up and making sure that the example is clear and concise would be a win, not just for the end user, but for me as well. Obviously there isn't a one size fits all approach to this, but I really like what Nick has outlined here as great principles that in general can do a great job of setting you off in the right direction if you are creating your own R package with excellent documentation right with it. Switching to our last highlight for today, and it wouldn't be an R Weekly Highlights podcast without at least some mention of great visualization ideas. We've covered some excellent resources in the past about leveling up your knowledge of ggplot2 in some really interesting use cases, maybe different themes or different geomes or anything of that nature. But often you might see one of these excellent plots that are created and just wonder, what is the journey to get there? Well, Cedric Schurer, freelance data visualization designer who's been featured in episodes such as episode 33 with his amazing talk on ggplot2 wizardry is back at it on his personal blog with a new series that he's launched called Evolution of a ggplot Part 1. Using example data of global student-to-teacher ratios provided by the UNESCO Institute of Statistics, which was also part of one of the Tidy Tuesday datasets released in 2019, Cedric brings us on an adventure from creating simple box plots of the ratios that are grouped by continents to a stunning composition of a dot strip chart and lollipop plot complete with an annotated tile map. Now, as you're looking at the image when you read this post, it would seem like hours were spent polishing a basic ggplot in some extra software outside of R, such as, such as Inkscape. But Cedric stresses that all of this is accomplished entirely with R code. So after some data preparation, 
The journey begins with techniques to improve the default box plot layout, such as sorting the data and flipping coordinates to show horizontal plots, which can draw more attention to the shifts in the ratios. And then the layering begins, which reminds me a lot of a professional photographer's workflow when touching up a raw photo or building up a complex piece of art from scratch. And Cedric starts with figuring out nice changes aesthetically to the theme of the plot and the font selection. And what was really interesting to me is that Cedric sets up this theming and variable mappings from the input data without actually applying a geome yet and saving that as an object. One could think of that as your base canvas that's going to be layered on top. So then he shows a clever combination of the point and jitter geomes as an alternative to the standard box plot that gives the nice compromise of showing the distribution of the data points and the frequency of these points. Additional enhancements come next with adding the average ratios as new points for each region and a reference line to the worldwide average ratio that gives the reader a little extra guidance to seeing what is, you might say, the standard reference. Next, he provides annotations instead of a typical legend, which is a nice technique to aid the viewer. And this is where some trial and error may be needed to get the coordinates correct of the actual text annotation and the helpful curved arrows to show which parts of the plot they correspond to. I can tell this might be the more time-consuming notion, but just like of anything in R, you just try some new techniques or new values and be able to see the result right away when you're done. And then it's basically just assembling a few extra bits together and then combining that with the custom annotation choreograph of the, of the plot in the upper right, and you have a very attractive plot at the end. Obviously, audio can't do this justice, <laughs> but you're invited to check the blog post as part of all of our, our weekly links, and you'll see all the excellent visuals along the way and the complete code to make this happen. I'm really looking forward to see what Cedric has in the next parts of this series. And those are your R Weekly highlights for today. Kelly has done an excellent job with this release, and you'll find additional great resources from the R community such as some excellent Twitter threads on using color palettes and using the RMV package with best tips and practices for that important package, in my humble opinion. Some great video tutorials, such as computing large text files with new enhancements to the Read R package. And even some great links to new shiny apps in the community, such as a gallery of artistry projects, looking at some of the awesome artwork that's being generated by the art community, with R, of course, and no paintbrushes allowed, so to speak. <laughs> As always, I am very appreciative of your, of your listening to this Highlights podcast, and if you have any feedback on what we've done here, as well as for the R Wiki project, you can find all the details that get in touch with us at rweekly.org, where you'll, of course, also find links to all the past issues and each episode in the backlog of this podcast. Have a fantastic week, and we'll be back with another batch of R Weekly highlights next week.